Well, good morning again. Um, since John went to visit family last weekend in Ohio, uh, we're still under that travel restriction, so he is not able to join us today. So I get the honor and privilege of uh, bringing another message. And last week, if I could just start with reminding us, because it is always true, that God loves you. So if we can just start there. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and He loves you today. But what do we do when we still have doubts and questions? And I know that many of us came to church this morning with questions, fears, and anxiety. What do we do when we're in the midst of sorrow and pain? Where can we go? As I was reflecting on that earlier this week, I was drawn to the book of Habakkuk. And so I'd invite you to turn there now. And there is no shame in looking at the table of contents in your Bible at the beginning to find what page it's on. Habakkuk is only a couple of pages long, three small chapters in the Old Testament. And so I'll give you a moment to find it. And we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3 as our main passage, but we'll kind of talk about the whole story this morning. But what I like about Habakkuk is he asks some hard questions. Not all the questions, but he asks some really tough ones. Because, you know, not all questions are created equal, right? You can ask each other, where are you going for lunch? And do you know the answer to this question on a test? And, you know, what did you do last week? curiosity-type questions, but then there are some other kinds of questions that they change our lives. What does it mean that I have this diagnosis? What do you mean you're no longer believing in the Lord? What do you mean you're moving out and leaving me? God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you take that loved one from me? God, why? Those questions go deeper, don't they? And in Habakkuk, he comes across one of these life-changing questions. And through a series of conversations with the Lord, he comes to a conclusion at the very end. And so we're starting at the end with Habakkuk's conclusion. So I invite you to read with me Habakkuk chapter 3, just verses 17 through 19. As he finishes his conversation with the Lord... After questions and answers, here's his conclusion. Habakkuk 3, 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master, this is to you, Bobby, with stringed instruments, please. So Habakkuk finishes with this conclusion. And with that in our minds, I'd like us to pray and ask that God would help us to understand how Habakkuk got there. 
How did he get to that place where he could say these words? So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we are able to meet here today. Open your word and that from thousands of years ago, you still speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would use Habakkuk's words and his experiences to impact us today. To shed light on what we are going through, every single one of us, regardless of what the situation is. Lord, would you teach us and would you show us your love and your light. May you be proclaimed today for the great God of love that you are. And Lord, would you meet us where we are at. May truth reign in our hearts and may you be glorified. We need your help today, Lord. Amen. Well, around the year 605 B.C., give or take a few years, a guy by the name of Habakkuk was walking around in his hometown, probably of Jerusalem, and certainly in the southern nation of Judah. And he's looking around, and he sees problems. Everywhere he looks, he sees violence and idolatry and sin and wickedness amongst God's own people. And it bothers him. He is gripped to his soul by what he sees in his own people. So he starts his prayer at the very beginning of this book with this question for the Lord. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? How long will I pray and ask God, what are you doing about this this violence and sin? When are you, you going to fix this? How long do I have to pray my prayer before you answer? Have you ever prayed a prayer for so long it felt like it went unheard? It felt like day after day it goes unanswered and God doesn't seem to care? Habakkuk knew what that felt like. And so he questions the Lord and says, God, where are you when I cry for help? See, he knew what was happening. He'd already seen the northern nation of Israel be completely destroyed by the Assyrians. And that was just a few decades before. Now here we are. He's in the southern nation of Judah. And he's watching it just spiral out of control. And he goes, God, we're on our way towards destruction. What are you going to do to fix this? And so he says, how long will you allow this to go on? Don't you see what I see, Lord? You ever prayed a prayer like that? God, aren't you watching? Don't you see the things that I'm looking at in front of me? Habakkuk saw them, and he asked God to answer. And so God does. He answers Habakkuk. And he says, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now that was not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. You see the Chaldeans, it's another name for the Babylonians. And what God was saying to Habakkuk here is, yeah, I see your sin and I've been at work. 
not to change them right now, but I'm raising up your enemy. I'm giving them strength, power, authority. This wicked nation of the Babylonians, I'm raising them up because I'm going to bring them in and use them as a tool of judgment against your people. And Habakkuk is just thrown back. What do you mean, God? You're raising up the Chaldeans, these Babylonians. They like wipe out whole people groups. They pull people away as slaves. And he uses all kinds of flowery language like they're throwing nets out into the ocean, grabbing nations like fish just to consume them. And Habakkuk asks God, How can you use an even more wicked nation to judge us, your people? He's like, I know we're bad, but they're like way worse. How can you do that? That doesn't make sense. What are you doing, Lord, he says. And I love Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. See, Habakkuk said, I've got these questions and you gave me an answer, but I am not satisfied with that answer. I do not like that at all. That is not the way I would do things. That doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm going to stand here, Lord, and I'm going to wait And I'm waiting for you to come and give me another answer, please. And he stations himself like on the top of a wall, looking out, waiting for God. And he's waiting and waiting. Have you ever noticed how slow God answers sometimes? And sometimes not even at all. And Habakkuk waits. And he waits for another answer from the Lord. Just as if we wait for God to answer when we ask our hard questions. Sitting in a waiting room in a hospital. Waiting for the doctor to give that diagnosis. Or the update for your loved one who's in surgery. Waiting for that phone call or email or letter from a loved one who is overseas in a war zone. Waiting to see if that friend will forgive you of your offense. Waiting to see what will happen to your church. Waiting for the Lord to give an answer to the confusion that you feel in your heart. Waiting. But I think that God is often slow to answer us because part of every answer to the questions that we ask Him come out of Habakkuk 2 4, where He says, The righteous shall live by His faith. See, when we ask God questions, part of His answer is always going to be, I have an answer. But do you trust me? I could tell you now, or I could tell you later, or I may not tell you at all. But can you trust me? Even in your confusion and doubt, do you believe that I am a good God? 
that I am your good father, that I care and love for you, and that I have a plan and I've not lost control. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Can you have faith in what I am doing? No, the answer that God gives to Habakkuk, he says, and Habakkuk believes by faith, the answer comes in a series of five woes against the Chaldeans, but then by extension against anyone who would do evil, that God's judgment is coming. So God doesn't answer, hey, here's what I'm going to do about Israel and your people. The destruction is still coming. The judgment for their sin is still going to happen, and I'm still going to use the Babylonians. But don't worry, I'm also going to judge the Babylonians for their sin. No sins will go unpunished and unaccounted for. And so he gives these woes against the Babylonians. So Habakkuk is left kind of with two realities. There is sin, violence, brokenness, and pain, and the sorrow in his heart is real. And sometimes in life, that is what we experience. But at the same time, through that pain, by faith, Habakkuk can have trust that God is at work. That God has won the ultimate victory. That God will lead him all the way home. And that he will have life because of his faith in the Lord. And that in the midst of this sorrow, he can have joy. He can have joy in his God. So Habakkuk writes a song. And that's what Habakkuk chapter 3 is. It's a song that he wrote to express this joyful sorrow that he experiences in his heart. This blending of fear and faith. And I love this word. Last week we talked about propitiation, right? Love that word. But this is another fun word just because it's fun to say. But in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, it says that this is a prayer, a song, according to the Shigionoth, which you're all familiar with what that means. It's, of course, a Shigionoth, which you'll find that word also in Psalm 7. And the reason it's not really translated for us is because most scholars are kind of uncertain what it means. But essentially what it's talking about is that this song, this poem, this prayer is an angst-filled, sorrowful, kind of emotionally heavy expression. This, this is not a happy, chipper, clap-your-hands kind of song. And Habakkuk wants to make sure that that is clear. That this comes through from the pain and reality of life. We don't just say, I rejoice in my Lord and I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? And that's a fine song and it's fun. But it doesn't quite fit when you're in the waiting room. It doesn't fit when you're weeping those tears. But there is a song of joy that does fit those occasions. And that's what Habakkuk writes here. So it's a song mixed 
with frustration and yet peace. Anxiety and hope. Fear and faith. Sorrow and joy. All mixed together like they often are in our hearts. And this is how Habakkuk concludes. We read this earlier at the end of chapter 3. But if we look at verse 16, right before, right before he makes this grand statement that he will have joy in the Lord, he also recognizes that he's doing that while he's in fear. He says, My body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he's waiting for the Lord to come bring judgment against his own people for their wickedness. And then against the Babylonians who God uses as a tool for judgment, but God will judge them as well. And that's a judgment that Habakkuk probably doesn't see in his lifetime. And yet he has faith that though everything else may fail, Though there's no more crops in the field, all the trees lose their fruit, the sheep are scattered and lost or slaughtered, and there's nothing left to eat. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In fear, he has faith and he finds joy. It's a joy in the midst of sorrow, joy in the presence of fear. So where does his joy come from, though? That's what we need to ask. How can he say this in the midst of what he's experiencing? Well, I'd say when your joy comes from this world, you can lose it when the world falls apart. But if your joy comes from the Lord, when the world falls apart, and it often does, you will never lose your joy. So you need to find your joy in God Himself. Not in the things that He may give to us. We celebrate and praise God for His blessings as we should. But what happens if we don't get that promotion, don't have that job? The, the, the answer from the doctor is not a good one. When that loved one does die and we have to say goodbye. What happens when there's real sorrow. Did God fail us? Or is God maybe showing us that we can praise Him even in the midst of our sorrows? See, if we praise God only when we have food in our stomachs, money in our bank accounts, happy families, great friends, we take all of that away and our joy goes as well. It shows that our joy was more in the stuff and not so much in God, doesn't it? But if you take all of that away, and even in the midst of that painful situation, real as it was, and if you still can have joy by faith in the Lord, then you know that your joy is in Him. So I ask the question, have any of you ever experienced this joy in the midst of sorrow? I looked through the scriptures and I found that the Apostle Paul certainly did. Just listen to a few of these examples from his life. 
In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Right? That's Paul saying to rejoice in all things. Rejoice always. Not just in good times, but in bad times as well. Rejoice. Because just a few chapters before that, he was telling the story of his good friend Epaphroditus, who was so sick, he almost died. And the way he talks about it, he goes, that would have given me sorrow upon sorrow. And Paul's anxiety was so high, he gave thanks to God that he had lowered it and given Epaphroditus healing, because he doesn't know if he could have taken it. So does Paul know what it's like to see a friend on his deathbed and to cry out, God, I don't know what else to do. I've prayed the prayers and, and I'm just, I'm sorrowful. And yet, he says, two chapters later, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, Paul writes, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Oh, why does he say this? He says this because he's looking around at his fellow uh, Jews who had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And he says that his Great, he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart because they're rejecting the gospel. Even this morning I was talking with a couple here and they were pleading for their children just to hear and believe the gospel. I don't know many of us in this room, we have loved ones, family, friends that we just want so desperately to believe in Jesus, to find the salvation and the joy that we have. And it brings us unceasing anguish in our hearts and great sorrow. And that's where Paul was when he was thinking about his fellow countrymen. And yet, he also says in that same book of Romans that we should rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we can rejoice in our suffering. So Paul knew what it was like to feel this sorrow and pain for his loved ones, and yet rejoice in the midst of it. Another one out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says to this church in Corinth, his friends, these people that he knows and loves, he goes, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there? Maybe even recently? Where you've despaired of life itself? Not sure you can take another step or move another muscle, or wake up another day. You're so desperate for God, and you feel so much affliction, so much pain and sorrow, you can't take it anymore. Paul knows what that feels like. But then he also said in the midst of that very same conversation that God is the God of comfort. He's the God of all comfort who often brings affliction into our lives and increases our affliction so that he can increase the comfort that he gives us. And so we can rejoice in the God of all comfort. Yet, he says, 
I will rejoice. In fact, there's another one in Galatians where he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He's comparing his anguish to childbirth. And that's risky for us guys to ever compare anything to childbirth. But that's where he's at. And he's perplexed. Confusion, frustration, anguish, despair. These are words some of us have used in recent days to describe how we are feeling. But you know, there was another man who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet I would contend that he was the happiest man that ever lived this earth. And his name is Jesus. He knew what it was like to lose a friend and weep with those who wept. He knows what it was like to feel betrayed. He knows what it was like to see people reject him and leave him and shame him and speak negatively against him. He knows what it is like to have compassion on a people who want nothing to do with him. He also knew what it was like to pay the ultimate price for sin. In fact, it says in the book of Luke that being in an agony in the garden, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus knew sorrow. And yet in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So mixed with those sweats of blood was joy. In those tears of pain at Lazarus's tomb, there was joy. And every time the crowd would abandon him and leave him, there was joy. And as he sees Peter deny that he even knows who he is, there is joy. And there's a joy in his heart that was in his father and in his obedience and in him coming to redeem a people for himself, you and I. His joy was in this plan that God was working to save us and bring us to his father. To enjoy Him forever. There was a joy that was set before Him. And so He could endure the pain. And so how do we keep that joy before us? One last passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul can sum it up nicely for us. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we see this joy with faith. 
with eyes that don't look out and see the world around us, but instead they see Jesus ever before us. Habakkuk, he had these eyes of faith. That though everything around him was failing and was going to be destroyed, he could have that joy set before him and he could rejoice in the God of his salvation. There was something that was immovable, unshakable, and unchanging. And it wasn't the crops and the sheep and the strength of his army. It was the Lord that was ever before him as his joy. So Habakkuk looked forward in faith. Paul looked back as we do in faith. And we give the God of that salvation a name. And his name is Jesus. And so they could say, and we can join them, I may not have any food, but I have Jesus. I may not have any comfort now, but I have Jesus. I may have lost my family and my friends to the Babylonians, to sickness, or to conflict, but I have Jesus. I can experience sorrow upon sorrow, affliction without and affliction within And through it all, I can say, I have Jesus, and Jesus is enough. He's enough for me. And so I can have joy in Him, regardless of the situation around me. I see with with faith, through the pain and sorrow that I experience, and with that faith, I take one more step. One more step. I don't know where the Lord's leading. Habakkuk didn't get the full picture. Paul didn't have the full picture. And we certainly don't have the full picture either. But God says, take one more step of faith. Reach out in hope for the joy set before you. And rejoice in the God of your salvation. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus gave his life to redeem you. He paid the ultimate price, dying on the cross. And then he rises from the dead to show life is in him. And he freely gives that life to us who believe. And we can rejoice in that no matter where we are, no matter what's going on around us. And that joy does not change because the Lord does not change. There's no circumstance, no pain, no sorrow, no fear. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we take one step by faith. And that's how Habakkuk ends, verse 19 of chapter 3. I love this image that he paints. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. See, I get this picture, not so much of deer, but of those like mountain goats, those sheep that seem to just run straight up the cliffs, seeing that on like a Discovery Channel or something where they're, they're just balancing on these teeny little edges. And you're wondering, how do they not fall? And then there's just like pictures of goats on these teeny little rocks, these pillars that stick up in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, how do you even get up there? And how's he getting down? He's not wearing a parachute. I don't understand. You just want to see how he does it. Well, they trust in the rock that's beneath their feet. And when we walk by faith, we take that next step and we trust in the rock that is beneath our feet. 
that though it may look like a crazy cliff and we're hanging on by a thread, the rock is secure and Jesus will hold us all the way home. So the year was 2020 and people were in anguish. There have been loved ones lost, snatched away by death. There have been new diagnoses by doctors that leave us wondering about health, life, comfort. Relationships have been shattered. Marriages have been in ruins and strife. Families are often separated by hate and fear. Finances may be running dry. And it seems as if everything is failing. And in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, we're confronted with uncertainty, the loss of comfort and community. We also experience conflict within that causes fear, anxiety, uncertainty. And we lose all sense of comfort and fellowship. Doubts plague our minds as a virus plagues this world. And our minds are confused, perplexed like Paul's. And our hearts are broken and in anguish. But let me tell you, Overland Hills Church, do not lose heart. Rejoice in the Lord. In the midst of the sorrow and in the pain and the confusion, trust in the rock, the God of your salvation, Jesus Christ. And when you weep those tears of sorrow mixed with joy, may you sing a song like Habakkuk. May you rejoice in the God that has the answers and asks you to take one more step of faith. And then my other challenge is that when you're weeping those joyful, sorrowful tears, And you see your friend weeping the same. Join with him. Join with her. Weep with those who weep. You may not agree. You may be angry at one another. But we can all find joy in the Lord. We can all rejoice in the God of our salvation who gives us hope and peace and comfort protection, and love. So join together, and in our confusion and pain, may we find the joy of our our salvation. Let us rejoice in Him. Let us find our joy in Jesus every day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of our salvation. I thank you that we can have joy in you even when the crops fail or our jobs let us go or our relationships become shattered or fear and anxiety set in. Lord, much of the time we feel like Habakkuk. We have big questions, and we don't understand. 
But Lord, we trust you. We believe that you know what you're doing. We believe that you are good. You are our good Father. You are sovereign over us. And so, Lord, we wait. Like Habakkuk waited at his watch post, we wait for you. Knowing you may not give us a specific answer, but you do give us the greatest answer. Your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may we find our joy in him and him alone. To you be all glory in heaven and earth. Amen.